Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Welcome to WCW Retro. I'm your host, Vinny Papasur, the Maestro of Wrestling. And this is the place to be, folks, to talk about past, present, future professional wrestling, but so much more. You never know who's going to call on Sat the Fun. And tonight we're talking wrestling families. So uh, if you got any cool stories about some of your favorite wrestling families uh, through the years, please call in anytime to tonight's live WCW Retro podcast at 914-338-1885. When again, again, that's 914-338-1885. And uh, before we get started with the callers tonight and dive into Wrestling Families plus more wrestling news, I'd like to make a few announcements and shout-outs, if you will. Uh, first off, shout-out to Masters of Ring Entertainment, mastersofringentertainment.com, Fishing with Special Friends at fishingwithspecialfriends.com, Cauliflower Alley Club at cauliflowerallyclub.org, O-R-G. Um uh, innovative Hybrid Wrestling, trying to what they're up to in the Maritimes there in Canada at facebook.com slash IHW Wrestling. 
Uh, and for film news, uh, Stroh Sinister Cinema is now out on Amazon Prime, Prime Video. So go to Amazon Prime and look up Stroh Sinister Cinema and check it out today. Or tonight, tomorrow, whenever you can. <laughs> it's now playing. The first episode of Stroh Sinister Cinema is now playing. Um, also, Hybrid, uh, episode two will be out soon. I'll keep you in tabs once it's out for sure. Uh, plus uh, other projects in the works. So, uh, of course, you can check out The Devil's Daughter on YouTube. But just look up The Devil's Daughter or Harlequin Story on YouTube and check it out. Um, also, you can check out Stench of Iniquity with yours truly, Papa Stroh, on Vimeo.com at Vimeo.com slash Turnerverse. And uh, but, uh, more projects are to come, so I'll keep you guys uh, up to date with the latest. Uh, for social media roundup news, uh, my official website is thestore.com, T-H-E-S-T-R-O.com. Official merchandise page is thestore.com slash merchandise. Uh, get your uh, proper store merch today for all ages, including pets. I'd like to make a donation to your truly proper store. Buy me a cup of coffee, tips, etc. Um, I have a GoFundMe also as well for uh, medical expenses. As well, if you'd like to make a donation to my PayPal, you can do so at paypal.me, and is Mary, even eat slash Papa Strohlitz. Paypal.me slash Papa And thank you in advance for your support. Um, on Twitter, at Stroh, Instagram, at Stroh Maestro. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com uh, slash Stroh Maestro. Uh, Twitch, I'll be on Twitch again very soon, so, but my Twitch is twitch.tv slash real. Um, real uh, Papa Stro on, on Twitch. But, uh, yes, so lot, lots going on uh, uh, in the wrestling world. We're going to be diving in that shortly. Uh, let's see who we can find here. Um, but uh, we're going to take... We're going to take a, a commercial break here shortly, uh, as of right now. But uh, also, uh, I need to address this, actually, before we get started tonight's show. Um, uh, my heartfelt thoughts, prayers, and condolences to the family and friends of uh, my Hall of Fame wrestling brother, uh, Leaping Lanny Poffo, the genius. Um, um, the Poffo family, uh, it's been ver- very good to me for years. And uh, Lanny uh, was one of a kind, man. Uh, great athlete, very articulate. Um, and uh, he was uh, one of the best in the business, hands down. Uh, whether it's maybe singles wrestling, tag team wrestling, I said, uh, Lanny was uh, definitely one of the best out there, no doubt. Um, but uh, my heartfelt thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the family and friends of Lanny Poffo. Uh, love and respect to all his brother. Uh, with that, okay, let's uh, get to our first caller here. Um, uh, 903 area code, welcome to WCW Radio. How you doing, Stroh? 
Hey, Dustin. Welcome back. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. Uh, man, Roy Rumble was, was a blast this weekend, past weekend. Yeah, it was. Good time. I, I always enjoy the Rumble, and this this doesn't disappoint, no doubt. Uh, well, remember, sure I was there in person, remember? Oh, you were there. Okay. Yes, remember, remember, yeah, well, remember, uh, I, I, yeah, it was a blast. Oh, that's, so you had a good time? Oh, my God. Uh, the the segment with the ending of the show with Sami Zayn turning on the bloodline, I, I, I'm like, what in the world? I was not expecting that. Yeah, uh, what a twist of events that turned out to be. And the way Jay Uso was uh, acting about it, him him crying and walking away from the bloodline, and then on Instagram he posted, I'm out of the bloodline. Yeah, it makes you wonder um, where things go from here. Uh, word has it that uh, Sami Zayn may be challenging uh, Roman Reigns for Elimination Chamber. Oh, my God, man. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know. Like, you know, if there, even if he did have the match, it, it, how long it would go before it got thrown out? He got throwing Kevin Owens in this equation, too. Because I'm feeling him and Owens are going to be aligned now. And what a match Owens and um, Reigns had. Oh, man. Oh, my Probably God. Well, I finally, finally saw that darker side of Roman Reigns coming out, the way he was slamming Owen's head on the steel steps. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Yes. Yeah, uh, man, I, 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 I can't believe both my picks won the Rumble. Cody Rhodes wins the men's, and Rhea Ripley won the women's match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, congratulations to them. Um, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, for them – Leading up to WrestleMania, what what lies ahead? Uh, yeah, I, I was there at Raw in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, seeing the, hearing that Cody Rhodes is challenging Roman for the title, and then hearing uh, I'm kind of shocked to hear that Rhea wants to face Charlotte for the title at Mania. I really thought she was going to face Bianca, but now, you know, you know the way this is going to go, uh, Charlotte's not going to lose the first fight, the first match. It's going to go three or four pay-per-views before Rhea wins the belt. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, that's, uh, it should be interesting. We'll be joined by uh, Chaz Moretti, Chicago. Chaz, welcome back, brother. How you doing? Hey, Stro, how are you tonight? Hey, Dustin, how are you? I'm good. That's good. Yeah, Stro was a, uh, a bit of a shock this afternoon. I was in meetings uh, downtown working on a couple of projects and uh, got the news that Lanny passed, and it was that was uh, upsetting. And we also got the news that Kenny J, who was uh, a long-time journeyman with the AWA also passed on uh, either yesterday oh, or this sad, morning. Wow. Yeah, Kenny J had the distinct um, privilege of being one of three wrestlers to wrestle Muhammad Ali on Y World of Sports as he led up to uh, his match with Enoki back in 76. Ah, man. Goodness gracious. Yeah, what a, what a day, right? right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, like you said, you know, the, the theme of tonight's show is the families, and you, you've got a, a family that's reunited that, you know, the wrestling world has now lost the entire family, but they're now reunited in the hereafter with the Papos. Right, right. Oh. Um, no, go ahead. I uh, would we'll be joined oh, by, yeah. uh, I think this is Steve. 
I can't talk Steve, long. Welcome back, Steve. How you doing? Uh, I've been feeling sick lately, but I had a great time uh, in Richmond meeting uh, Josh Barnett. Training man, he was very cool. Um, hi, Chad oh, cool. and Dustin. Um, my voice is kind of hoarse because uh, 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 upper respiratory recently, but um, I wanted oh, to. Steve, with that voice, you should be cutting promos, bro. You got the husky wrestling yeah. voice. Uh, I was thinking Jake the Sacred Roberts in his later years. Oh yeah, that worked. But um, uh, I did have uh, a comment and a question. Um, I actually forgot or just remembered now that Lenny even auditioned to be a New Japan Pro Wrestling commentator in uh, 2018, I believe. And it's a shame that he didn't get the gig because I think he would have been great at, at that. He's such a good talker. Oh, yeah. Um, Chaz, Stro, any favorite memories or matches of Lenny Plaffo or Andrew sure. Plaffo? Um, with Lenny... I was lucky enough to work on the undercard of the show that he was on in Chicago. God, I'm going to go back over about 10 years ago. And uh, it was called Russell Rage. It was run by Powell Entertainment. And they put the, the venue was the Odeon in Villa Park where the AWA and ECW used to run. And Lanny at 55 pulled off a perfect moonsault in his match. And that's something that I was, that I'll never forget because, you know, everybody says, ah, you get older, you can't move anymore, you're a step slower, you're this, you're that. And there's Lanny taking off in a moonsault from the top rope. Yeah, uh, uh, gosh, I think, the pop of uh, the man, by uh, God. Uh, you know, yeah, our ahead. paths have crossed quite quite a bit through the years. Uh, one time, uh, we were going to team up, and there was a time where we were coming in WCW under two different aliases. Uh, but, uh, you know, between Lanny and Randy, man, they, they've always treated me great. And, um, you know, it's just so sad to see that happen. And, and you know, Angelo, too. I mean, my God. Like, like you alluded to earlier, the, the whole family now can rest easy. And, um, man, my heart and thoughts and prayers are with the rest of the family that's here as well as all, all the many friends that they had. Yeah, I think uh, Lanny is kind of a underappreciated uh, innovator. Uh, I think him and Muna would have been a good match for me, given that they both used the moonsault. Oh, extremely. One, one of the uh, biggest nods to Lanny was um, during the run-up to WrestleMania three. they had a number of battle royals that showcased Andre as a heel. And in each of those battle rows, if you look closely, Andre is going at it with Lanny quite often. And Andre actually handpicked Lanny as the guy that he wanted to work the most in those battle royals. So that's a testament to, to Lanny's work ethic as well. And then I'm, I'm sure Stroh's got a number of, of funny stories about Lanny, but one of the funniest that I had, is we were in a locker room one time at a show that we worked together, and uh, there were a couple of uh, looking female wrestlers in the in the locker room, and Lanny was trying to convince them to go back to his room and play Parcheesi. They had no freaking clue what Parcheesi was, which I just thought was hilarious. <laughs> and one went up and actually asked, what is Parcheesi? And I, just, I looked there, I'm like, just stop. 
Just stop. It's not what you think it is. It's not a board game. Have a nice day. Yeah, Lanny was great. I mean, there were times where I've seen him we talk to others, and it's like, you know, he was was very, uh, aside from what you saw on the outside, I mean, behind the scenes and, you know, the way, I mean, he was very giving, very uh, willing to help out others. That that would ask, and uh, you know, it, you know, he was he was one of those that would would give back to the business more or less. So I mean, I he think, was just a pleasure to be around. I, I think he was a big influence on Damian Sandow, Aaron Stevens, one of my favorites. So I think mm-hmm. he definitely left an impact because guys like Sandow kind of borrowed from him. I just saw him oh, the other night. Aaron Stevens on the, they had the wedding thing on the NWA Power. And so it was Santino Morella was like uh, he was the minister, and oh my oh, god, was I, I was I was dying. The whole segment was just too, oh man, too funny. Yeah, I think he, I think Lanny too, indirectly is an influence on Elias. So it's a lot of that same ability to captivate the crowd with something that you wouldn't think would be included in a wrestling program. So, so so many people in the business that Lanny has influenced. Uh, I mean, gosh, this is just a testament to him. Aside from the aside from the jokes and aside from everything, you know, the ribs that he used to love to pull in the locker room, Lanny would be the guy standing behind the curtain, watching everybody's match, and offering up critiques to the workers. You know, whether they asked for it or not, Lanny was going to tell them what he thought. But, you know, he always had a way of, of doing it in such a positive manner that uh, it didn't sound like critiques. Now, you'll be, oh gosh, you'll be so missed. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I had pushed to have Lanny inducted into the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame. For at least six years, and they never acted on it. And you know, now that there's absolutely none of the family left, it's kind of pointless. But um, he definitely belonged in that Hall of Fame, along with his his father was already in there, as was his brother, and he definitely belonged. Yeah. Um... And as you alluded to earlier, I mean, Lanny could go with anybody in the ring. Anybody you put him with, I mean, <laughs> he could go. But, you know, here in, in getting back to what you guys were talking about with the Rumble, I mean, Cody Rhodes' victory and his press conference, I enjoyed the press conference afterwards as much as I enjoyed the match because Cody took great pains to make sure that while the Rhodes family and the Rhodes family family's legacy is something that's you know strong in his mind, he wanted to make sure that he distanced himself so that he was uh, no longer in Dusty's shadow, and that's a big shadow to get out of. I, you know, I, one thing I did notice that he was the only guy in in that press conference to take one of those Mountain Dew uh, pitch black drinks and put it over and like. Just and literally walked off the conference room with the with the drink. Well, you know that was a nod to his dad. Over. There was one, there was one event where 
Mellow Yellow was the sponsor of the NWA's event, and uh, Dusty grabbed one of the Mellow Yellow cans and just slammed it in the middle of the press conference. <laughs> so that was a subtle nod to his father. Oh, yeah. And then he was, he was even mentioning the fact that, you know, that's, that's the first drink of sugar he's had in, like, months. <laughs> yeah. How soon... How soon are they going to do angles at the press conferences like UFC where Conor McGregor is throwing monsters? Are they going to start throwing Mountain Dews and other wrestlers across the room? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm I really digging the conferences, that, though. Yeah, I, really I would rather it. think that those conferences were a, um, were a nice little uh, tip of the hat to New Japan because I enjoy the New Japan right. press conferences. It, it gives our sport what it needs. It needs to have the aura of the big fight feel and the aura of being a major sport. And I think the, I think the press conferences are a great way to do that without becoming stupid. The last thing you want is to, is to have a, a segment from uh, Tuesday Night Titans stop, uh, pop up in the year 2023. I, I don't think that would be uh, the best way to present uh, the talent as well as what's going on. But I, I did like the fact that uh, they kind of gave that big fight feel and that big sport feel back to our game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it... It, uh, it, you know, it was great. And, 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 and of course, I've always too. enjoyed the conferences they do after the events, so I mean, they're bringing it to the WWE forefront, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you guys. I think it's much needed. It, it was, it was very. Yeah, I actually enjoyed the press conference too, and it was kind of interesting that they had Bray Wyatt come out there after the, the, to to do some rest because he's got that mystique character. But I thought he came off well in the uh, presser. Oh, absolutely. I think it, you know. I think one of the cool things about that presser was that um, the journalists that were there weren't contrived. They weren't characters. They were actual journalists that report on wrestling right now. And I kind of chuckled at um, at uh, um, Cody and, and Sap going at it a little bit because they had a history at AEW. I mean, even down to Triple H's uh, part of the press conference. Uh, I mean, it, it was all very informative, very you know, entertaining, and and the, you know, and and the wisecracks you know, <laughs> uh, Triple H would make every now and then. It was like you know, I can't, you know, listen, I can't be outstaged by uh, Cody <laughs> as far as second questions. So that, it was really cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely was one of the, I think it was one of the highlights of the show. I'm going to be honest. I didn't care for the for the last segment um, with Owens and Sammy and and the, the bloodline beatdown and whatnot because I think it went on too long. I think it lost believability because you know in, in days past, if you had that kind of beatdown with someone handcuffed to a rope and getting beat unmercifully, that every ref in the company storming that ring, they would have cleared the locker rooms. I mean, it wouldn't have gone on that long. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think the longer yeah. it went on, the less believable it was. Now it's kind of in a weird situation because I really didn't think they thought that Sammy would get as over as he is now. And now it's like, my God, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how he uses this dynamic with uh, Sammy gotta, and Cody leading up with Roman. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, now they're both equally, if, if not more with Sammy, I mean, my gosh, I mean, because Sammy is really built up to be quite the star now. Oh, yeah. You know what would be a very a very cool angle for them to run if they really wanted to break the fourth wall is to um, put Sammy in a series of matches with not only Roman but the bloodline and blow it off with Sammy losing a like a loser leaves town match and he comes back as El Generico. Hmm. Go, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. I like the idea, but uh, I wanted to comment that segment at, after the main event of Rumble. Um, I think from a visual standpoint, it was great because uh, the Leia, the necklace that Roman was going to give Sammy, it was all spread all across the ring. I thought that was a good visual, very cinematic. Yeah. The fact that they left them uh, handcuffed and beaten with the flowers across the ring, that was kind of like a good uh, – Visual, because they couldn't believe. I thought that was great. Yeah, I mean, the visuals were great. I just thought it, I just thought the segment went too long. I just thought the longer it went, it just lost believability. You know, I, I was wondering when the the pay per view started and they started off with the men's rumble. And I'm like, oh my god, this is okay, and. Uh, but then, as it progressed throughout the pay per view, I, 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 you know, I, I was starting to understand why certain matches were placed where they were, right? So, you know, I mean, but in the beginning, I was, I was kind of scratching my head, going, "You starting off the men's rumble, like, oh, okay." But it, it made more sense as the pay per view went on with the placement of the matches, and the women's rumble was just amazing. Yeah. Again, the women's rumble took uh, took the cake as far as the two rumbles were concerned. It was definitely the better of the two matches. I'm very happy for uh, Gunther and Rhea Ripley, and also seeing a uh, murder clown Kana Pasca and WWE. Those are my favorite, uh, I think, memory or moments from the event. Is that Gunther and Rhea kind of were the Iron Man and woman, and uh, evil Kana showing up was great. Yeah, I what mean, a, what a performance by Gunther. He, he wow. doesn't get enough credit. I mean, the guy is the Intercontinental Champion, and he's just kind of floundering around. I mean, he he went over an hour in the Rumble, and they got to do something with him. They got to give him some more high profile matches, or at least let him defend against top contenders because they're they're killing the IC title with the way they're going, with the way they're they're booking it now. Yeah, they, they, I they, they, they've been doing that for months. 
Go ahead. Right, right. I got to give it to Liv Morgan and uh, Oscar too, along with Rhea. I mean, they stuck it out all right, toward, to the very end, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that, that was pretty impressive. Oh yeah, you know as far as the as far as the the surprise entrance and the novelties go, man, you got to give it up to Booker T. Book still looks phenomenal at his age. And that was last minute. Too. Yeah, that was all last minute. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised Pat McAfee didn't take Ray Mysterio's place since Ray was injured. But yeah, I think it was it was a good return for Booker, given that it was in Texas as well. Yeah. And like you said, Stroh was last minute, so it proves the old adage that they tell every one of the rookies. Make sure you got your gear with you, kid. You never know when you're going to get put on the show. That's it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like how Book kept it kayfabe until he actually went out there. Pre-show, you know, the the, uh, the pre-show panel, nothing. Never alluded to it. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> and Michelle McCool, he just... Just stepped in the ring from ringside with her kids. <laughs> I was, you know, to be honest, I was kind of hoping they would have put Medusa in that match. I was really surprised they didn't, honestly. You know, let her walk out with the old women's title belt and uh, put her in that match. Medusa would have held her own. Oh, I, I, I definitely believe that. Yeah, I don't think they got the kind of reaction they were looking for for Nia Jax. People were just like, eh, there she is. You know, in and out kind of sort of thing. I, I don't I don't know. I I understand that they, you know, they'll that they wanted to bring her back at least for the one night. But I hate to be the you know, the the downer in the group, but she's just not over. What about Piper returning? As Piper, rather than Dewdrop, I, I like that. Cool. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't like the way they um, originally booked her when she came in. She went from Piper Niven into, you know, in the uh, May Young Classic, which was actually a good tournament because it showcased a lot of different uh, female wrestlers. And then they, you know, they they made a joke out of her, and then released her, and now they brought her back as Piper Niven. I think, depending upon what kind of uh, what kind of freedom that they give her and what type of matches that they book her in. Um, I think we haven't seen, I think we haven't seen the real Piper Niven yet. And um, yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, I, I didn't like the Dewdrop name and I think she could be a monster villain. I think she well, could be their Nia Jax that they're looking for. I mean, if you take a look at it in terms of, of talking about old versus new, I mean, she's the female Bam Bam Bigelow. She can move for her size. And not only that, we saw Nikki Cross right. return as the old Nikki Cross, right? So it was, it was really nice to see Nikki and Piper make their returns. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you had to love Chelsea Green. In and out in 20 seconds. Collect that payday, kid. <laughs> yeah. Torrentians took longer than her appearance in the match. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, there were rumors floating around uh, amongst the boys and girls in the business that uh, they were going to bring Matt Cardona out for the men's rumble. That didn't happen. Then they were talking about how they were going to that Nick Aldis was going to be the number seventeen instead of Ray, and that didn't happen. Yeah. So who knows what they got planned for the future? But uh, I know Ricky Stark was I, there, but he was there in support of Cody in the back. I thought that was awesome, and I thought it was great that that the that Triple H and, and uh, the powers that be at, at WWE allowed him in the locker room, allowed him to be photographed, so that there's. Uh, you know, there's, there was no professional animosity uh, between WWE and AEW with regards to Starks being backstage and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. The pay-per-view I thought was great. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I always laugh at these... Uh, these uh, armchair bookers that will com- they'll watch the pay-per-view and they'll complain about this and complain about that and, and this stunk and that wasn't good and this is garbage, but they're still watching it. Oh yeah, you know, me, me, I, I tend to, I don't, I don't. It's weird. I don't watch wrestling with a critical eye anymore that I've been in the business. I just, I'll watch the pay-per-view for what it is. Either I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it. But I'm not going to sit there and pick it apart. I got a question for right. Stro. Um, sure. There was a, the Mountain Dew match was under blacklight. Do you would you be? Do you think you could work in that condition under blacklight? Like it's still very lit up, obviously. But like, mm-hmm. um, what did you think of that? Of them using blacklights for the Mountain Dew match? Uh, it was a neat perspective. You know, in, in that sort of match where, and you know, especially with certain colors were neon, in a way, you know, with the black light and all. So uh, it, it was LA uh, night glowing. Right, right. So uh, it was a, you know, it, interesting perspective with that type of match. You know, because I was wondering, just like a lot of others, how they were going to pull that off. But I thought it came off pretty well. Yeah, the table break, I thought was a good visual. And then um, mm-hmm. I think LA, LA Knight should get a, a push uh, with someone at some point. But um, I thought it was neat how they pulled that off uh, with the black lights. Because there's, right. there's been light tube matches in Japan, but like, I've never seen black light used in a wrestling uh, match. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty interesting, too. So, I mean... But I, I thought it came off pretty well, and I mean, LA Knight, man, what a gem! That that guy should get a get a push to the moon and back. I mean, he's amazing. Oh, absolutely! I mean, like you guys were saying, with with the neon portions of that black light match, kind of gave you that Batman and Robin kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to see where they're going to go now with with Uncle Howdy. After he put himself through the table, I, I gotta say the um, the post match, it was like an Alice Cooper concert. The way yeah. he just jumped off and there's pyro. I think. Yeah. I think uh, don't expect a five star match from Burrow. Right? You expect a concert because of stuff like that. It's pretty neat. 
Right. And when, which, you know, I mean, in, in pro wrestling, you know, matches should be different, you know what I mean? You know, and everybody oh, has their own different style of doing things, which, but, but that's good. That's a good thing. I mean, here you if you like we like you just said, Stro, if you go back and if you go back in the day and you you look at the way cards were built back in the eighties and the nineties, and when you were in WCW, you had a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, why mm-hmm. was an Abdullah Butcher or a Bruiser Brody or a Kamala popular? Because they were the only one typically on that card in their genre. You know, in the in the wild man genre, you typically didn't have. Unless they were working against each other, you didn't have more than one of them on the same card. It was always one attraction per card. And then you right. had your scientific wrestlers, you had your brawling rule breakers, you had your women, you had your midgets. So, I mean, at that time, it, it gave everybody a different perspective. And then one of the things that made me a WCW fan during the wars was the fact that you not only had – you not only had um, – Characters that were believable and that could actually captivate you within the match and outside the match. And, yeah, I'm going to make you blush. It was you. Okay, your character was extremely believable. Gorgeous George III, given your lineage and your heritage and your family, and then the fact that you worked your ass off in every match, I mean, that was definitely a unique part of the show. Uh, the luchas were a unique part of the show because it wasn't, something that was seen, unless you were watching AAA at that time, you didn't see the Luchas uh, doing their thing. You know, I actually had to go back and research Ultimo Dragon when they brought him up, because I thought they were lying that he held 10 belts. You know, and I think now with the different visuals and the different perspectives, and you got guys like L.A. Knight that can that can hold the microphone as well as hold the audience within the match, and uh, uh, Aaron Stevens in NWA, and you know, you're starting to see that variety again. And that's what draws crowds is the variety. If it was the same super indie style all day long, by match four of seven, you're going to be bored. Because you've seen it all. I, I got a question for uh, Chad Enstro. Um, Abdullah was kind of a freelancer. Do you think wrestling needs more freelancers? Because Kota Ibushi right now, is kind of like the hottest free agent. Uh, do you think there should be more freelancers, freelancers like in the territory days, like you mentioned, Abdul the Butcher? I'll let struggle for absolutely. That one. Yes, absolutely. I, I, you know that some years back, I, I think that was the main appeal for Brian Pillman actually. But remember, he was floating from um, company to company, right? And you just never knew where you would pop up next. And, and, with the, and with the freelancers, that's the excitement of being a freelancer. You know, you just you don't know what promotion they'll appear at next. And, you know, because, you know, it's uh, they're more or less a novelty. And any time you see an appearance by, by them in any promotion, you know, you're getting something special. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I think Jeff Jarrett is one of the last true freelancers. Besides Kota Ibushi right now. Oh, yeah. I and I know there's talk I was reading about um, Tony Khan wanting to get a hold of Kabushi. Yeah. Especially with and getting I, Omega being there. I think he should because, you know, his 
he's not a, an unknown like he would have been 30 years ago without getting without VHS and tape swapping you wouldn't have seen his work from Japan but now you're seeing it on the new Japan shows and you're seeing it on Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-views and whatnot so he's not an unknown quantity and to bring him over yeah, yeah. Would, would definitely raise credibility I mean even bring him over for here, you got Roman Reigns, right? They're, they're going to tout Roman Reigns as the number four champion ever in WWE, WWF history after Backlund, Pedro, Bruno, and Hogan. Okay. So you're going to have him in that pantheon. So why not bring over an over-talent from Japan in a one-off match and, and make it and give it that believability that this is a sport. He is truly defending a world title. You know, and, without uh, giving away also... the fact that, without giving away the fact that, that it's a, a predetermined outcome. I mean, why do we have to in this business be so adamant on proving that what we do is a predetermined exhibition? Everybody knows it. Everybody knew it 30 years ago. Everybody knew it 50 years ago. But that suspension of disbelief, the, that idea that, wow, this guy could possibly win the world title, that was always intriguing. And for some reason, over the last 10 years, there's been an effort to try to reinvent the wheel. And I think now they're realizing that they don't have to. And I think that's a positive thing for our sport. And also a uh, competitor in the Cruiserweight Classic Tournament as well. So he has that uh, uh, history with WWE. So I think he's the one that I'm watching right now. He uh, got booked with GCW recently, the uh, Josh Burnett's Bloodsport and some other shows probably coming soon. But, yeah, that's that's was interesting because Abdullah, he wouldn't stay somewhere like six months you know, more than six months in a place. So it's, it seems like a rare thing now. The yeah. territory is just independent. Well, that was, you know, that was the beauty of the territories is that you would go in, uh, you'd work your angle and work your program, and then you'd move on. And new blood would come into the territory. It, it kept, for the fans, that's how they filled stadiums like the Mid-South Coliseum and, um, you know, the, the Sportatorium in Dallas. That's how they fill those places weekly. I mean, let's take a look at 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 um, at, C, at, um, at Memphis and, and Jerry Jarrett when they ran it with uh, Fargo and Lawler. They were putting 12,000 people a week into the Mid-South Coliseum on a limited budget, on local TV only until cable came along. You know, and how are they doing that? you got to do it through... Uh, a variety of different matches and a variety of different talents. You know, I think I think one of the downsides to McMahon buying out WCW was that it turned it turned wrestling from a, a again a quote unquote sport where different wrestlers would come in and out of areas to challenge for those titles into a single company with rosters. And, oh, if you're not a full-time member of this company, you're not going to be, 
featured. You're not going to get a title shot. You're not going to be even mentioned on our shows. And I, I think that that just did a disservice to everybody, a disservice to the fans, a disservice to the workers. And hopefully now that they're, you've got people that are that have that traditional mentality. I mean, Triple H has it being trained by Kowalski. Tony Khan's got it. Everybody can, can complain and bitch about Tony Khan not knowing the business. Tony Khan knows the business better than he's letting on. And you were talking about freelancers. Oh, gosh. I mean, we can go as far back as David Von Erich, uh, the, the Guerreros. I mean, those guys, you know, would, would travel from territory to territory. And uh, you knew when they were in town, like a David Von Erich or the Guerreros, for example, and, and some of the many others, I mean, you would be getting something special. You know, we mentioned Bruce Brody, Abdul the Butcher, and, you know, Stan Hansen at one point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we we talk about the families. Let's let's focus on the Guerreros for a second. They were their own promotion. I mean, when the Guerreros came in town, they didn't come alone. There was usually two, three, four, or all of them that came in the territory at one time. And so it was a big deal. I heard, uh, heard Gory Guerrero was a good villain, and I think it might have been Gory or one of Eddie's relatives that was the, one of the first guys to get the camel clutch, but I wasn't familiar with that to the uh, Muhammad Hassan Red story that I heard, but I know that was kind of yeah. cool that the Guerreros were using the camel clutch back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got this. I was lucky enough to see Hector and um, Mondo wrestle live. Uh, back in 85 at, at Comiskey Park for the Super Clash. And again, you know, like you said, you, you had Chavo Sr., Chavo Jr., Hector, Mondo, and Eddie. And you might get any one or any combination or all five of them at one time. And, I mean, they could all work. They could all move. You know, I, I think I think Vicky Guerrero is 100% right in her criticism right now of Dominic Mysterio. That kid is never going to be as good as Eddie was. Stop comparing him. He's just not. Is he decent? Yeah. Is he greener than grass? Absolutely. Is he an Eddie Guerrero? No way in hell. And he's not going to be. I think Dom would benefit from uh, possibly an alter ego or a mask. Something that isn't raised. Um... I think he needs to create his own uh, persona at some point. He's, he's doing okay right now, but I think he needs to change it up at some point, especially being with a dark group like Judgment Day. Oh, I agree, Steve, because you take a look at it, and they're still beating that 30-year-old storyline or 20-year-old storyline to death about him being Eddie's boy and being Eddie's son. Come on, that, you know what? We put that to rest when we put Eddie to rest. Enough now, like you said. They need to develop him into his own persona. And if it means putting him under a hood, then do it. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's an interview where, because uh, with uh, Dominic, where uh, he was talking about uh, 
Conan approaching them about his look, right? And as soon as I saw him do the thing where he came out, supposedly came out of prison and, and had one of the, the shirts like Conan used to wear and everything, it's like, oh, he, okay, he's going for the Conan look now, right? And and it turned out that was, wasn't intentional at all. He had no idea he was looking like Conan until Conan approached him about it. <laughs> you know, and here, so that... I've heard it. That goes back and proves nah. the point. There are very few of these kids, with, with certain exceptions, that even bother to study the history of the sport. I mean, they don't have a clue. They think what they're doing is original, and it was actually been done many, many times before. And like you said, with, with Conan, with, uh, uh, with, the, with the, uh, the, the faction... That was its TNA with Sean Hernandez and that whole crew. I mean, the L.A. gang ex-prisoner routine's been done a thousand times. You know, what are you going to do to make yourself even, stand out? Even Ray did it with the filthy animals as well. Yeah, exactly. They did it with the LWO, with the Latino World Order. Even though Eddie, you know, outshined them all with that one. But still, it's like, how many times are you going to try to retread that same character before it either looks laughable or completely unbelievable? I mean, does anyone honestly believe that Dominic served any amount of time? I mean, if he did, he'd be very popular. Let's put it that way. Young, good-looking kid? Oh, they'd love him. I've always thought because he would, like, start donning a, like a darker version of Rey Mysterio's mask. Yeah. Yeah, go with the black and purple version of Rey's mask. I, I think it'd be cool if he had psychosis, someone else that Rey feuded with as a mentor, because Eddie's long mm-hmm. gone, and comparing yourself to him is just, it's, you know, it's like what Chad says, impossible, but like, I think if, if Rey brought, if somebody, they had someone to mentor him like Pentagon Jr. did with uh or mentored under uh Vampiro which in the ground. I think they should just copy that with Dominic. And they, I think they kinda yeah. are, but they they're doing it in a comedic way with, with Rhea. I mean I, I think that I, I think you're you're hitting on the right on the right spot there, Steve. You know, what would be wrong with, with uh a guy like uh La Parca who came in and right. uh with Ray left and right in WCW, so you got you know you've got Dominic in that in that black and purple with the Judgment Day, and that dark in that dark gimmick, you know that dark look, and at some point you know Ray and, Ray and Dom should get should blow this feud off at some point. So I mean, you get that blow off, and all of a sudden, leading Dominic out to the ring is uh, like you said, either psychosis or. Uh, or in this case, La Parca, someone that Ray just, you know, absolutely hated. Exactly. I I think that's what's missing right now, because the fact that Ray and WWE doesn't really have a a long-time antagonist to play off of, you know, with with the the feud with Dominic, that could really, you know, really set on a a good course. When we talk, we don't talk wrestling very often because it gets on her nerves. 
But uh, <laughs> but the one thing you know, the one thing that that Amy's always brought up that actually is, is a great point is if you notice, guys like L.A. Knight, like Aaron Stevens, these are the few workers that are given bullet points. Um, Bray Wyatt, Kevin Owens, they're only given bullet points, and they're able to to um, produce their promos organically, and that's what separates them from from the rest that have to read off a script. I mean, when you have to keep reading off a script for your promo because there's a there's some sort of screenwriter that wants this uh, uh, certain angle accomplished, again, you lose believability. Don't hold back, Amy. Tell us how you feel. Stupid. Old school was good. This new stuff is bogus. It puts me asleep. It's a bathroom break. It's time for me to go do something else. And there's your run-in for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Just the old days. The old days were good. These new days suck. Yeah. I'm bitter. I can tell. But, you know... Let's get back to one thing that Steve brought up, though. We're talking about Japanese talents. We're talking about Asuka going back to to her Kana persona and and whatnot. Now that I like. Back in the back in the day when when they wanted to bring Andre back under the hood and they they, uh, they brought the machines in from Japan, but it was actually the American machines because they left the strong machine back out in Japan. But they still they still intertwined those two storylines. They intertwined the All Japan Machine storyline with the WWF. There's got to be a way that they can bring a faction over from New Japan, like a, a, a who's who, even for even for one card, even for like one of the Saudi Arabia cards, you bring those guys in. That would be cool. That I would get into. So I guess my question yeah, I think- would be for Steven, for Steven Stroke, my question would be, if you had to pick, let's say you had to pick a three-member New Japan faction that you could bring in, even for a one-off showcase card, who would you pick? I think um, before AEW ever happened, it would have been the Elite versus New Day, because they actually had an internet feud that was kind of friendly, but... Uh, Non-Gaijin group from New Japan. I'd have to go L.I.J., Los Angeles, Japan. Um, I think Naito is so charismatic. Sonata has a lot of potential. Um, and Shingo Takagi as well. I think L.I.J. would be a good invading faction besides uh, Suzuki-gun. But uh, I think L.I.J. are just the cool faction. Bullet Club, I think they would have been the group. Uh, but back when they had the Tongans. Back when they yeah, had, but I mean, uh, I mean here we we Haku's boys. You know, they they watered down the bullet. That's GLD, yeah. I mean, they, they watered it down. You still had Gallows, Anderson, and um, uh, you still had Gallows, AJ, Anderson, and yeah, and AJ. AJ, AJ Styles was um, he was pro Tongan Bullet Club when when the firing squad incident happened with the Tongans yeah. beat up the Elite. He was not yeah. elite Bullet Club. He was Tongan Bullet Club. Right. Right. And, I, you know, again, that would have all been, but as far as right now, if we had a book it tomorrow, I think that faction that you just mentioned would be phenomenal. And they'd be, and they'd be over because, you know, again, why is there this overarching feeling amongst the writers, and I use those in parentheses, 
that fans are stupid, that they don't understand what's going on in the world of professional wrestling. I mean, it's so easy to get our information these days. Back when I was a kid, God, I sound like my father when I say that, I had to buy a magazine every month in which the information in that magazine was three months old in order to find out what was going on in the rest of the country. Or if you went on vacation to a place that had a, if you went on vacation to a, a place like Florida where I could actually see one time in the entire year, I could actually see championship wrestling from Florida on Saturday morning and get my and get my territory fixed that way. I mean, now information is so easy to obtain. I, I don't understand why, um, why the companies and the powers that be have to keep trying to reinvent the wheel. I don't get it. Well, now the one thing I do is is back in WWE. I I really think that she should go a new direction, honestly, and uh, show more of that aggressive aggressive side from her past. And I, I believe that would give her new life, and I think you know it would it eventually lead to uh, a championship feud per se with a uh, Bel Air or what have you. Because uh, oh, I, I really think this that, that this whole going back to her kind of old persona from Japan, I, I think it's a be a good breath of fresh air for. Her. I think oh, it's a I good merch. Totally. I think it's good for merch too, especially with that new face paint. She could be like kind of mm-hmm. like the modern woman. She could she could be kind of like Muda esque, given her oh, yeah. killer clown kind oh, of persona. You definitely see Muda. You see Kabuki. Uh, you see all of that in her. I, I agree with you entirely. That this is a great direction that they could that they could take her in. Um, in terms of not only, like you said, not only storyline, not only possible matchups, but merch sales as well, most definitely. Yeah, and plus she's not getting any younger. She's pushing 40. You know, it doesn't look like right. it. She doesn't act like it, but, you know, again, you, you're going to work at that level. You're, as Stro will tell you more than anybody, you, you only got you only got so many dances on that bump card, and then it's over. Right. You know, I don't like I, the one thing I, I would, would go back and talking about the families. But I love the fact that the Rhodes family is being mentioned quite often now in e television, and I think if they are gonna, I think if they really wanted to, they could talent swap between AEW and WWE and the NWA. I mean, you got guys there that are not unreasonable. It's not like the old days. Where, where the old guys that ran the territory didn't want to work together, or if they did work together, you didn't, they didn't want anybody to know about it. I think very easily, and it's good for business, that they could talent swap, they can bring talent in and out on one-off basis, and, you know, it doesn't, it wouldn't hurt the business at all. I mean, so what's wrong with, uh, with an MJF and Reigns going at it for, a title unification match that everybody and their brother knows is going to go to a no contest or to a draw. Fine. You keep your belt, they keep their belt, everybody's happy. 
and it builds a house. I mean, honestly, what would you pay for a WrestleMania ticket that had Reigns and, and MJF top of the bill? Title unification match. Or the New Japan champion. And I'm not as up on New Japan as I should be. But what's wrong with having a New Japan heavyweight champion come over and challenge Reigns in a unification title? Yeah, that's, that's one reason why I'm glad that they had that that joint promotional show, even though it was snake bit leading up to it. But hopefully they'll do another cross promotional show again, and hopefully with Naito on the card, because I think he was a big uh, omission from that card as Naito. So mm-hmm. I agree. And also with, with the Busha being a free agent, it'll be interesting if he ever gets picked up there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, being joined I, by. I, yeah. um, uh, I don't know who that is, but... Hang on. I don't know, somebody's beeping, hug. Hello? Okay. Okay, so I got to get the, the beeping noise corrected and straightened out. <laughs> I got to put you on hold. That but, it sounded uh, like the emergency broadcast system warnings that we get at 2 o'clock in the morning on the television. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I do apologize. I thought that was the right to censor. Yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking of the right to censor, uh, the Godfather had an interview where he wanted to apologize to Stevie Richards for being so mean to him during the right to censor days when he was the Godfather. Did you read that? <laughs> no, that's funny, though. I parts of it. I also heard a snippet of his interview where they were talking about um, when the Godfather got called for the run-in in WrestleMania between Vicious and Hogan. And then Hogan got all upset with him for, for being late on the run-in. And it was actually Monsoon that held up um, that held up uh, Charles to make that run-in. And I thought that was kind of funny. And then he just he dismissed <laughs> Hogan with a couple of good expletives and then went in to explain what happened. And uh, mm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, got a question. Again. Sure. Sorry to interrupt. Um, since we're talking about Royal Rumble, is there a favorite battle royale from Stroller Chad? Um, sure, I'll let you go first on this one. Go ahead. Well, there's a few that come to mind. I know in Memphis, there was back in Memphis, they had the uh, bring, you know, bring your weapons battle royale, basically, where each each one of us was allowed to bring a, a weapon of some kind. And, you know, I was, that was during my gorgeous George days. I was like, uh, I was kind of being creative. At one time, I brought a hair dryer, I think, and the other one I had like a, a two by four with a smiley face with curly hair. Called the gorgeous board, I think, with something like that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, that was awesome. And then, um, and there was one battle royal. Oh, I forget. I, I just told this story too. Uh, I was in, the, uh, I was in the, uh, like Paul Orndorff was it? It was like. Arn Anderson is like the who's who. I mean, and Kevin Sullivan was in there, and Kevin literally hit me with a trash can lid, right? And it, it dented the lid, right? And, and you know, I'm, I'm over there, like, holding my head, right? And, and Kevin's looking at the dented trash can. It's like, you sure got a hot head, right? You know? And we just looked at each other, started laughing. And then next thing you know, we were using the trash can to double-team everybody in the battle royale. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but that, that's a few that comes to mind. Go, go ahead, Jez. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, as a fan, um, the one that, that always comes to mind, the one that always comes to mind with me, because it was unique for its time and it was an actual $25,000 payoff, was the L.A. Battle Royal that they held every year at the Olympic. In the 72 Battle Royal, uh, Bruno San Martino came in from New York as the WWF champion and won that Battle Royal. And I thought that nice. was, uh, I'll take it back. No, he came back as the number one contender. Pedro had the, had the bell at that time. Oh, Pedro, okay. And they just had, they just had the Magic Pedro. Chase Stadium that went an hour to the curfew. And then Bruno went out to mm-hmm. L.A. and he actually won the Battle Royal. I think he tossed out Haystacks, Calhoun. I mean, it was a who's who, and it was at a time when battle royals weren't very popular. They were only held in uh, certain few areas once a year, and the L.A. Uh, College, the LA Olympic Auditorium Battle Royal was the most famous. So that one, to me, was probably my favorite growing up in terms of, of uh, the uniqueness of it. There was a local battle mm-hmm. royal that um, I was on the card for, but I wasn't involved in, in which one of the local wrestlers who um, goes by the moniker of the Urban American Dream, Willie the Bomb Richardson, who's a dear friend of mine. We've we've been in the ring together. We've shared locker rooms. He's an, a good. He was a great mm-hmm. worker and an overall good guy. He went out there wearing a spaghetti calendar on his head with a squirt bottle, you know, with the uh, with the plastic spray bottle, and he was eliminating <laughs> people with the spray bottle. So he would spray them. They go over the top rope, try to punch him. He mm-hmm. ducked his head and he hit the calendar. I just thought that was hopeful. Oh, wow. a, bring your, a, a bring your own weapons battle royal, that was just hilarious because it was comedy that was effective that got over. And so that one always struck hmm. me as, as being uh, different. I mean, here you got a 300-pound guy going out there with, you know, with a calendar on his head and a squirt bottle, and those were his weapons. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I, th- I haven't seen a lot of Battle Royales, but I did see one at GXW in Richmond. And I believe Stro either won it or were the last guys in it. Uh, it, was for, it was Johnny Ringo. It was a Johnny Ringo Memorial Battle Royal. So that one oh, I didn't yeah. see live. Oh, I was involved in one Battle Royal in my career ever. And it was a, a final show for a company called UWC that was running out of Chicago. And um, I was an entrant in Amy pitched a fit because there was no reason I should have been in the Battle Royal, but I was, with a staph infection, no less. Yeah, and I told you not to because you don't listen to me. Yeah, I don't listen to you. You're an ulcer, and that's not right. Yeah, but I got older. It's all good. So anyway, I'm in this Battle Royal, and it took five people to dump me out. And it was kind of funny because, you know, not being not being fully trained in how to properly go over the top rope, it took five of them to, to hoist me out of it because they're like, they're like, Chaz, it's time for you to go. I'm like, I don't know how. You're going to have to help me. And so they, it took five of them to ease me over the top rope and dump me out, which I thought was just hilarious. Because here I am doing the Andre the <laughs> Giant routine because I have no clue how to go over the top rope without hurting myself. Right. <laughs> I was in this battle room one time. Oh, my God. They, they had put too many people in the ring, literally too many people. And, and 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 the people they had in this battle royal, it was it was uh, so so diverse. I mean, you had like Jimmy Valiant, uh, Bobby Fulton, X Pac. <laughs> God, it was insane. But again, those were the kind of those were the kind of attractions that sold tickets. 
I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you guys had a full house that night. Just oh yeah, it was a great house. Oh yeah, but just the people in this battle world would have blown your mind. Like you and thought them, when they never thought in a million years would be in a battle world altogether. <laughs> there was a lot of us. Was, oh my gosh. Yeah, I think the only group right now, major promotion that's doing it is probably AEW and New Japan. But the Casino Battle Royale for AEW and the King of Pro Wrestling uh, Rambo uh, Battle Royale for New Japan that they do on the Tokyo Dome shows. So, yeah. figured out what to I mean, here you you had the uh, you had what the Ultimate Royal Rumble out in South for this one of the Saudi cards. But let's have the Saudi yeah, cards. Let's rid the Saudis reach into their vast pockets and do a uh, a World Cup battle royal, not a rumble. Just a World Cup full battle royal, and let them pay a million to the winner. And let the boys call it in the ring. And and that was a great showing for Brian Danielson as well. He was the Iron Man in that match. And yep. his chest was super red. Oh, Steve, before I forget, my wife says you need to get a humidifier. She's driving me crazy with this nonsense. Oh, we got it. I, I already have. He already has one. She's right. Okay. I already have one, but she's right. Yes. Yes. Because we need to get it. Can we go back to the show now? That would be nice. Sorry, guys. I need to put a, I need to put a little DDT in my tea. Yeah, Amy's going on full mom mode with you, Steve. Sorry about that. Uh, we, we need more run-ins. We need more woman yeah, callers. Right. No, do not encourage her to run in anymore, brother. I'm trying to keep her language to where it's PG. Strew's used to me. Strew knows when I go into mom mode. He knows how I did. Yeah. Well, again, we're going back to the family. So, um, you know, I hate to rate families, but if, if you had to pick out your favorite of the families, top three, who would it be? Oh, wow. The hearts. The Guerreros, and I'm not sure which the third one is. I think Von Erichs had a big legacy. Um, I, I have a hard time with the third one, but definitely the Hearts and the Guerreros. I, w- I would have to agree. There. Oh, gosh. Three three great families, man. Oh, yeah. Me, I'm going to go a little more obscure. I'm going to go with the Funks, the Briscoes. Well, the Funks was my pick. It is Amy's pick, yes. The Funks, the Briscoes. That's a good one. And the Ganyas. Yeah. I mean, Greg and Vern are underrated for what they brought to the business. I mean, Vern was the oh, first yeah. breakaway from the NWA. I mean, the AWA was the first of the breakaway territories from the NWA, and they, they booked four different, four different local promotions, all came underneath the umbrella, and they ran from 1960 to, what, 92, 93? Yeah, I think when my third one would be the... My third one might be the Funks, but, uh, yeah, AWA, WWE got as good as it did because they rated the AWA. So the Ganyas, like, kind of are the reason why WWE got good. (laughs) Right. Basically. (laughs) Uh, Amy brought up another family that's always overlooked, the Bashans. Look at that. Bashans, yes. I mean, you had had Mad Dog, uh, Maurice, you had Paul, Vivian, Luna, that was a hell of a family. Those are my, those are my two families. Third one, I can't think of. Luna, yeah, Granny's two families would be the Funks and the Bashans. 
What about the Graham family? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, both, you know, kayfabe and non-kayfabe. You had Eddie, Luke, and uh, mm-hmm. Superstar. You know, granted, they weren't. Eddie was the booker, were, right? Yeah, Eddie was, Eddie controlled Florida for years. Right. And then Mike Graham, you know, legit family that came out of out of that whole crew, too. What about the Henning right. family? Yeah, you had the Hennings, you had Kurt and Larry. That's true. It. The Armstrong. Yeah, and the Mulligans. The Armstrongs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Mulligans. The Mulligans. Family. I mean, look yeah, at the, the offshoots, Armstrong. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the offshoots of the Mulligan family. So you had Blackjack, and you had Barry, Kendall. Mike mm-hmm. married into oh, that yeah. family. And now you got you got Bray, and you got uh, uh, Uncle Howdy. Yeah, Bray, Bray and Barry are like... I think Barry is very underrated, so it's hard to pick that third one. But yeah, the the Mulligan Wyndhams are really good. Yeah, and then they, they would hey, probably not ever let me show my face in Southern Illinois again if I didn't mention the Ortons, because <laughs> uh, Cowboy the Ortons, Bob yeah. was big down at SICW at Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. Um, that's mm-hmm. still run by by Herb Simmons down there. Uh, yeah, the Ortons are gold. I mean, they're royalty down there. You get. Cowboy Bob and Randy and and even Barry Orton. I mean Barry O was a, a yeah. hell of a worker in his day. Oh yeah. I, I'm going to make a prediction uh, for WrestleMania. I'm I'm, I'm going to predict. Now I may be wrong by a long shot, but I'm go, I'm going out on them here. <laughs> I'm predicting one of the main matches for WrestleMania this year will be Bray Wyatt against Uncle Howdy. <laughs> You know, it, it's not that far out of the realm of believability. They would probably do it. Yeah. I mean, between between Bo and Brady, they'd have a hell of a match, number one. Number yeah. two, you know, like, we, like we've like we been talking about, it, it turned out to be a, um, a theme that we brought up just out of conversation. But, you know, how long before you move in a new direction with the storyline? Uh, we've done the Firehouse, the Firefly Funhouse. We've done the Lantern uh, Wyatt family, you know, we've done the fiend. So now where do we go with Bray Wyatt? Because I mean, I think they should let him. I think he's the dusty roads of our modern era, to be honest. And I think they should let him go down that road. And so how do you do it? You, you match him up with uncle Howdy and, um, you blow that part of, it's not a feud, but you blow that part of the storyline up. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Oh, Amy's got her third, guys. We're going to bring it up for you. They're the pride and joy of Puerto Rico, the Cologne family. The Cologne. Yeah. That's my third. Right. So, I mean, the Cologne's got it, you know. The only thing the only thing I ever held against the Colognes, and I, I still will hold it against them, only because of the fact that we as fans and as, as members of the the wrestling fraternity were robbed of his genius uh, was the Bruiser Brody incident. It was handled mm-hmm. entirely wrong from start to finish. And I blame Carlos. It was his promotion. And we mentioned the Rhodes earlier. Yeah, we did. 
Um, and again, uh, all these kids that are on NXT, and you talk to Paige, you talk to a lot of them that came through while Dusty was working with them in NXT, and the Rhodes quote-unquote family extends to a lot of workers that Dusty touched over the years. I mean, FCW was basically like the, was like Rhodes' project. Besides Triple H and really Regal, it was Dusty Rhodes, FCW days. Oh, yeah. Bray and Wyatt, then, um, that character is a creation of Dusty Rhodes. Dusty created that character. Yeah, I could – him and uh, – he reminds me of Waylon Mercy, the original Bray Wyatt, but um, I, I got to mention the Rocks family, obviously, the Anawahis, and, and also I love oh, that yeah. the Rocks daughter – I love that the Rock's daughter is doing her own thing. She's got a dark edge about her. She's in a cult group. I like what she's doing. She's like modeling uh, online uh, Malachi Black's uh, clothes. I think I like that she's not using the Rock. I like that she's doing her own thing. I think it's very cool. Oh, most definitely. I mean, that's, that's a family with a lot of branches going all the way back to to High Chief Peter Maivia. And Alpha and Sika, I mean, that's just a, a tremendous wrestling family. I think a very underrated wrestling family right now are the Brooksides, Zaya Brookside and Robbie Brookside. Uh, from yeah. The UK. And, of course, uh, I'm going to have to, give a, I'm gonna have to yeah. give a shout-out to my favorite family in the U.K., which are the Knights. Love them to death. And, you know, you take right. a look at what they've accomplished in the UK with uh, with the World Association of Wrestling, I mean, Zach, right now, Zach Zodiac is being booked this year in seven different countries and a hundred different promotions. And he's coming to the States in July. And I'm proud to be representing him in that on that tour. But what Zach's accomplished and Roy and obviously Paige and Ricky Knight for all those years that He's pretty much, you know, bridged the gap between old world of sport British wrestling and the modern style that's out there right now. You know, I, I can't say enough good things about the Knight family and, and the, the WAW. That's my UK home. Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely they, they definitely had to make an impact because The Rock. He saw that documentary on the Knight family and just made it into a movie. And people are like, well, why is The Rock making a movie about Paige? It's not about Paige, it's about Paige's family. Um, exactly. And, if you, if you and look at it, I the think, Unsung Hero, that movie was, was uh, Zach. That movie exactly. was more about and Zach think, than it was about Paige. And I think The Rock can relate to a wrestling family since he grew up in one. So it made sense for him to make that movie. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you look at, you know, you, you look at, the, at The Rock's family, Rocky Johnson. How underrated was he? And now Young Rock, and now Young Rock is 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 probably watched just as much as the wrestling, if not more, because they're on the NBC, and it, it's very surreal that um, they're kind of talking about the business in a in a kind of biopic way on that show. Um, it's, it's very interesting that he would he would make Young Rock and fighting with my family. Also, uh, Florence Pugh, I think, is one of my favorite young actresses right now. I thought it was very cool that she played a page in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I like the fact that 
in fighting with my family, they all had cameos. Um, you know, you had Zach as, a, as the, uh, the the thug, the leader of the thug group, the little gang members. And uh, there was a cut scene, if you watched the DVD, when they showed the deleted scenes, there's a scene where one of the kids was running away from Zach um, as he was dealing drugs, and he ran past one of the apartments in the council house, and it was uh, it was Soraya and Ricky sitting in the apartment wondering what's happening as they're, as they're running by. So I thought those were, were funny moments in the movie that they actually included the family. But, you know, Young Rock, I watch it every week. I'm not going to be ashamed to say I don't. I do. I watch it every week. I think it's I think it's very interesting because again, one of the promotions that we got to watch back in the mid eighties when cable became very popular and we were able to get different shows on on a Saturday, we'd had seven different promotions that we could watch on a Saturday. And there was one network called the Financial News Network that on the weekends was an all sports network and they showed Polynesian Pro Wrestling. And so we were able to see I was able to see uh, what was going on out in Hawaii. And again, this was all stuff that prior to cable, you only read about in the magazine and you got your information three months late. And, um, yeah, that was, that is one thing I do like about young rock is kind of seeing the Hawaii territory. That was before my time, but that was probably during my, uh, mother's time. She kind of had, you know, experience living in Hawaii. So seeing young rock kind of her a nostalgia, but, um, I'd have to mention another underrated UK wrestling family is the Finleys. Uh, Fit Finley, uh, Dave Finley uh, Jr., and uh, Fit Finley's father. Uh, I think Finley is one of the toughest wrestlers ever and one of the best villains ever. Uh, Terry Funk would say that. So um, I had to put in the Finleys as well as the Brooksides and the Knights. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you, you take a look at... Uh... You take a look at the Finleys and uh, and Stroll. You can you'll attest to this. I mean, if you if you rub fit the wrong way, you wound up with a broken thumb, possibly. Oh gosh! It, and every time I remember, sometimes WCW. Every time that Finley would have the match, uh, uh, most notably, especially the matches that Finley had with uh, William Regal, uh, we were all just sit there in the monitor in the back and just watch. I mean, it was just, because their matches were just, just second to none. It was just amazing to see them put a match together. Yes. I think uh, no if if David Finley Jr., if, if David Finley ever leaves New Japan, there's money to be made with William Regal's son and David Finley as a tag team or as a, a feud, given the WCW history of their fathers, but um, yeah, just, and, and also uh, Finley, he had that injury in WCW with that table, so he had he had that whole WWE run on one good leg, and that was something that Regal brought up on his podcast, I thought this is amazing, that he had that yeah, really WWE is. run with a bad leg. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. and going back to WCW, there's another family that was completely underrated, and those were the Malenkos. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you had and, Boris, and Boris Malenko was was one of the top trainers in Florida, one of the top talents in the Florida territory. Then you had Dean, and you had Debbie. Debbie was a good worker. 
in her day. I mean, injuries cut her short, but Debbie was no slouch in that ring either. And uh, Boris trained so many uh, guys, even trained uh, Gangrel. He's mentioned him several times. So yeah. definitely Boris made a big impact. And Crossface was actually used by Dean, and Dean actually um, was a shooter, I believe, and kind of uh, trained in that Japanese style. The first time I saw Dean appear in WCW, it just blew my mind because here was a guy that didn't high spot. He didn't take to the air. He wasn't a flyer. He was a ground-based wrestler that, again, he earned that moniker of the man of a thousand holds because he could beat you seven different ways to Sunday. I mean, in the first match I saw him compete with in WCW, he won, he won with a Texas Cloverleaf. Now, we had seen figure fours. We had seen sharpshooters, Boston crabs and whatnot. But the Cloverleaf hadn't been used since Gene Kaniski. And to see it, you know, being brought out 30 years later by Dean Malenko was just awesome. Yeah. I mean, here was a guy, like uh, you said, he was, he was a shooter. So was he a heel? No. Was he a baby face? No. Was he an in-betweener? No. He was Dean Malenko. He just went out there and out-wrestled you. He didn't have to say two words on a microphone. Because personality wasn't his strong suit. He just let his work talk for him. And I think that was awesome. I think uh, Brian Danielson, I've heard, when before he ever trained with Shawn Michaels, he actually wanted to train with uh, Dean Malenko. But uh, uh, his school shut down and went to Shawn Michaels. So pretty, uh, pretty, pretty big what if. Uh, I'm sure they worked together behind the scenes, but Brian... Definitely looked up to Dean Malenko for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, like you like you had said before, you know, talking about um, that whole Texas wrestling family and and what came out of there. I mean, you know, we we gotta we have to mention the Blanchards because uh, Joe Blanchard ran that ran that uh, that Southeast Texas territory for the longest time, you know, and Tully came out of there and. Ted DiBiase came out of there, and, you know, an offshoot of that would be Ted's son, Jr. So, I mean, you know, you had family, you had those families as well. I mean, Texas was run by, was basically run by three different families and Paul Bosch. So you had the Blanchards, you had the Funks, you had the Von Erics, and then you had Paul Bosch running Houston. Uh, forgive me for making this reference, but it sounds mob-like. Because there's five, it's, it's, it's like the five families, except there's three families. Of course it was Texas. Of course it was. Let's go back to the, let's go back to the story that Vince Jr. always tells that when he was gonna that when he was starting to take over the territories, they reached out to his father, and the story goes that Vince Senior cornered Junior and said, "Vinny, what the hell are you doing? These guys are gonna put a bullet in your head." Oh yeah, it was very mob like. In fact. You go up to the northeast in Boston, uh, it was controlled by the mob. Capital Sports was the front. Five families were the were the money behind it. Oh, I don't care. They're all dead or in jail anyway, so who cares? But uh, Bruno was very protected by the mob when he was champion, especially in his first run. From 63 to 71, if you went to the garden, Bruno was accompanied by... Uh, how should I say this? Uh, a very colorful entourage 
of Italian American gentlemen. So yeah, yeah it's, it's always, it's always like interesting when Yeah, I mean, you know, they were they were run like that, but that whole the NWA, that whole commission, kept everybody in line, and everybody respected each other's territories, and they had talent swaps, and like like Stro said, you were able to work your hardest for six months, eight months, a year until the program was starting to, to stale out, and then you moved to a different territory. And you started all speaking over again. Speaking of territories, uh, Stro, did you ever work with Jerry Jarrett at all? Oh, God, yes. Matter or fact, Jeff uh, Jarrett? Oh, oh, oh absolutely. Um, I know J- Jerry was uh, a big uh, influence on, on my uh, when I was during my time in Memphis, as well as it was because of Jerry Jarrett that I made a connection with uh, Hulk Hogan and Monster Man Randy Savage later on. So uh, yeah, Jerry, Jerry was a big influence, and of course you know Jeff later on. And, and I had heard that uh, the booking style back then was every six months Jerry uh, Jarrett and Jerry Lawler would change the you know would take you know, promotion, uh, the pencil, basically. So it's very interesting how way, how booking used to be back then, the, the fact that they would change it every six months. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. You don't see oh, that yeah. now. Jerry was all about, all about the shooters and the tough guys in the business. I mean, he he was all about that. So, yeah, yeah Jerry was great. I think one of the more unique pencils that they that they took to – uh, their territory back, and it was in 85, when Waller finally lost the Loser Leaves Town match to Bill Dundee, and they thought it was going to be a joke and that he was going to come back under a mask, and he didn't. He went to Hawaii. He worked for Polynesian Pro as a heel. Now, Waller had been a babyface in Memphis forever, and he went to Hawaii and worked as a heel. In fact, the moniker that they gave him was the mouth of the South, Jerry Lawler. Which, you know, for those of us that followed the, followed the business and followed wrestling at that time, we kind of snickered at because Jimmy Hart was the mouth of the South. And here you've got Jerry Lawler pulling that heel routine out in Hawaii that you would see on a Saturday afternoon watching Polynesian Pro. While all the while they're on Memphis, we get the Memphis show later on that night, and they talk about how everybody misses Jerry Lawler how he's uh, he can't wait to come back after his suspension is over. You know, little did they know he's out working in Hawaii as a heel. So I think, like you said, yeah. it was very, very creative and very unique that they would just uh, they would just start the pencil all over again. And, you know, yeah. again, it was Jared good, for, it was good for the workers then. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was yeah, good for I the think, workers as well. I think that's one thing that Jeff Jarrett, took from Lawler is that they're both kind of freelance guys because Lawler has so many championships from territories and I believe, I think I did see one of the uh, Islanders, uh, one of the more younger Islanders, I'm not sure which one, but um, I think it was Alpha Jr. And he had a Polynesian championship and he even mentioned Jerry Lawler was one of the winners of that. So That could have been what you were referring to earlier when Lawler was winning sure. Polynesian. 
Sure. I mean, you know, and and going along with that, you had the Anderson family. You know, you had, uh, you know, it was all kayfabe, but you had Lars, you had Gene, Ole, you know, Arn came out of that whole routine as well. And CW later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think I think of that quote unquote family, I think Arn was the best worker of the bunch. Bar none. Right. I mean he's the man that created the four horsemen. That whole concept was his idea. You talk about art of the interview. I mean Arn was just and the whole new level as far as interviews and promos goes. Oh, most definitely. I mean, Stroke, when you watched an Arn Anderson interview, did you not believe everything he said? Oh, absolutely. 100%. But you saw you know, that, that was, with Arn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and again, you know, do I, am I downing the idea of having writers to create wrestling programming. No, I'm not downing that idea. I'm downing the idea that these writers insist on making talent read their quote-unquote promos or interviews from a script. You know, that lack of organic originality is what's separating a lot of these wrestlers from their peers. I mean, guys like Bray Wyatt and L.A. Knight are given the freedom to express themselves. You know, it, it's interesting. They want to be hit. It's interesting you say that because I was listening to a, a Buddy Lindell uh, interview, a shoot, and he said uh, they used to, uh, Jim Cornette told Russo that uh, Buddy Lindell's one take uh, Landell because he was like just that good of a promo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, any thoughts on Buddy Lindell? Like, because I I haven't watched a lot of his work, but I hear him uh, every so often. And it's just interesting that back then, guys could do promos in one take. Really? You know, According to, honestly, uh, I, I still feel this day, if, if Buddy Landell would have kept himself straight, yep. we it would have changed the whole course, the whole horseman with Flair deal. I mean, because Landell back at that time was on his way. He really was. <laughs> yeah. And the guy. 84 was Buddy's best year. But, you know, I listened to, I ran across um, a snippet of, of the Coronet experience where Jim talks about Buddy Landell, and it's on YouTube. Just put on there, uh, Jim Cornette on Buddy Landell, and you'll, you'll get the clip. And Jim said what Buddy's biggest problem was is he went from making a little amount of money when he worked in Memphis and when he first started out to when he went to Mid-South and worked for Bill Watson. Now he's drawing 2000 a week because the territory was doing so well down there and they were making so much money off the Superdome shows and whatnot. And Buddy just didn't know what to do with his money. You know, he got rich and he got rich quick and he wound up just spending it on stuff that would later lead to his downfall. And it's, it's a damn shame because Buddy was a worker and a half. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But as far as one-take promos, yeah, I'm going to tout myself. I pride myself on a one-take promo. I can hit a one-minute, one-take promo with no problem. In fact, one time we were at training, and it was myself and another manager who goes by the, the moniker of Charlie Manson Jr. And God, if he doesn't look like Charlie Manson, my buddy Scott. And he does that whole Manson family gimmick. 
and so they were we were at, uh, at we were at training and they were talking about cutting promos off the top of our head. And my wife throws out it. They said we people that were there watching the training. We threw out suggestions. All right, give us a topic and we'll cut a promo on it. It was it was um, napkin, mustard, and a piece of poke. Yeah, we had to cut a promo on a napkin, mustard. And a piece of dog feces. And he cut his and I cut mine. We both got it in one take and we both did it in 47 seconds. Because we were trained, I was trained, and God bless my trainers. Jimmy Blaze, Scott Spade and Rough Crossing, they were all old school guys. And we were trained in your head to keep that mental clock and wait before you cut your interview. And when you cut it, get it over believable and get it done in one take if possible. And that's it's, you know, it's, it's what puts this might me be over. a dumb question. This might be a dumb question. Is that a lost art? The one take uh, promo? Yes. Yes, it is because there's no because they're not allowing these work. I'm saying not. They're, they're not allowing all the workers to tap into that organic originality that they have in their personas, that they have in their characters. That's what Dusty taught these kids in promo classes: is how to tap into that character, how to how to live that character while you're out there. And that's what that's what separates the Bray Wyatts and the LA Knights and the MJFs of the world is that they're given the freedom. They're saying, hey, we want you to hit this point, this point, and this point. We don't care how you get there. It's like I mean, the old bad you, know, you believe You believe in what you say, then people are going to believe in you. Agreed. And why is CM Punk a cult hero? I mean, his work was okay. Nothing to, nothing really to write home about it. You had to just judge Punk on what he did in the ring. He was all right, but he wasn't, uh, you know, the be-all, end-all of wrestling. You know, personality-wise, the guy's a douche. Anybody that knows him away from the ring knows he's a self-centered ass. But why are they chanting his name at shows? Why are his yeah, promos I mean, so believable? Because they gave him the freedom to be believable. Do you think for one minute that yeah. pipe bomb promo wasn't scripted by Vince McMahon? Think again. Uh, I, I don't. I'm very mixed about him now, given his recent incident. But when he, when he, when he was feuding with The Rock, I was against The Rock. I was for Punk at that point because I, I get tired of these these older guys taking the young guy's spot. So, and and I think Punk held his own against The Rock on the mic. So I mean. And- He's one of those few guys. Let's go back to another guy that was given the the freedom to be organically original, which is The Rock. You know, when they scripted him as Rocky Maivia or, God forbid, Flex Kamana, he wasn't over. No one cared what he had to say. Because it wasn't believable. They bring him to the nation domination, they give him the microphone, and they let him tap into his own sarcastic personality and all of a sudden the rock's born. And back to what you were talking about with uh, CM Punk and The Rock. Uh, CM Punk was feeling the same way you were about, you know, the guys coming in for a part-time deal and then leaving, right? So, I mean, a lot of what you saw, I mean, that's why it came off so well because, I mean, that was was his true feeling and he, he brought it out in the promo. Agreed, but like we said, though, Sharon, like you said before, he was given the freedom to do that. If right. they would give, if they would give more of these workers, wrestlers, bullet point promos, we want you to get, 
we want you to accomplish this, this, and this. And when I was taught promos, I was taught promos by Armando Estrada. And he told me, he says, here's what you got to do in a promo. Number one, you got to put over the date of the event, put over the promotion, put over the venue, put over your opponent, because if, you're, if they don't believe that your opponent is worthy, no one's going to buy a ticket to watch a massacre. Then you put, right. then as a manager, you put over your talent last, and yourself will get over in the process. Because if people believe what you have to say, then you're over as a manager. And I was fortunate enough that that came naturally to me. And I, I'm not bragging, I'm not tooting my own horn, but that was the one part where I can honestly say I took to like a duck to water because I was able to, to incorporate all that, given my background uh, prior to getting into sales and getting into um, management, I was a teacher. No one knows about that. I taught junior high history for 15 years. That's where I learned to cut my promos. I kept my students in line. But, well, well, you know, what, 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 what kind of history was it? Was it world history or I taught US American and world. history? No, I taught U.S. and world, and I also taught government. In fact, um, I taught Constitution. In order for them to graduate from junior high, they had to go through me because they had to, they had to pass the Constitution test. And right. so, uh, you know, I was able to learn how to captivate a crowd because in teaching, especially history, if you couldn't captivate that classroom and make them interested in what you were talking about, you were done. You were just lost. And, you know, like you said, Punk felt that way about part-time wrestlers because it was true. You know, they're out there working their ass off 350 dates a year for this guy to come in for two dates and make more money than they do. Yeah, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that that was was my feeling, and I'm sure that came across in Punk's promo. Oh, yeah, but he was given the freedom to express himself that way. I mean, what separates Paul Heyman from a lot of managers that are that are currently in the game. Paul is still given the freedom to say what's on his mind. You know, but again, go back to the mid-80s, and I hate to go back 30 years, but you go back to the mid-80s, and you, you can rattle off a, you want to talk about a family or a fraternity? Let's talk about the manager's fraternity. At any one time, in any one promotion, you can have three to seven different managers all say the same thing in different ways, and each one gets over. That's the lost art. The, the ability to be believed, to me, is the lost art. Right. And, you know, again, why, am I, why have I become, over the last three years, why have I become such a big New Japan fan? Because New Japan is believable. And... And it's not the strong style that I'm a proponent of. I think strong style is reckless. I think it's stupid. But what's believable is the entire production. Everything is put on to appease the Japanese crowd who wants to believe still that this is a legitimate combat sport. And I think and it's treated that like is so. something that... Yeah, and I think that's something that the Japanese have, have touched on and perpetuated... And I think it should be embraced. That's why, again, we yeah. went back to talking about the, the you know, the I, uh, I think the post-show press conference. Yeah, do the pressers. It makes it believable. 
I, I think that's why I grew to like them was seeing Minoru Suzuki and Takaraba, who are legit grapplers, and they had a UWFI uh, rules match. It was very, it's very rare to see that. You could, you can see them in a Indiana for Paradigm Pro or a Josh Burnett's Bloodsport maybe without the ropes, but um, I think Suzuki and Sakuraba are obviously very believable because they're real. And I think yeah. uh, Johnny Valentine was kind of like that mentality. was like, I can make you believe I'm real. Yeah. That's what I heard. Definitely. I mean, you know, um, the one knock I had against Inoki is that Inoki would take advantage. You know, Inoki would like to pull off strong style on his opponents, but God forbid you did it to him, he'd start whining like a little girl. Uh, I heard Sayama was very brutal to, to his students, so just oh, depends well, on who you're with, I guess. Let's put it this way. Hogan spared no quarter on Inoki because Inoki would take advantage. You know, he want you to believe that they were, quote-unquote, working, and then he'd shoot at you, but if you gave it back to him, he didn't like it. Well, too bad. If you're going to promote that style, there's some guys too. There's some guys too that you get in the ring with, right? There's some guys too you get in the ring with, right? And you really have to really get what you can because if you don't, they'll eat your lunch. So you really got to. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah Benoit, Benoit, Benoit was like that, and also I heard Regal. He he legit wanted Anoki to choke him out, and he did. I heard in that WCW match, like he legit put Regal out. So that that was very. Crazy. Mad Dog Bashan. Mad Dog Bashan was a nut job. If you didn't give Mad Dog back what he gave you, he would just beat the living hell out of you. And I went back <laughs> and watching the Tales from the Territories. Greg Gaga said it the first time he worked him. He looked at Burn and said, What do I do with this guy? He says, Well, you hit him twice as hard as he hits you, and good luck. I remember mean, one time. More it, it was Gandito. It was Gandito and yeah. Bill and uh, and Ben Wall was like growling and just being really aggressive. And uh, uh, after the match, the, I guess the word was uh, Tammy there. He went to Chris and was like, "Gosh, was it? Was he upset?" And uh, he was like, "No, that's the way he always wrestled." <laughs> oh, agreed. And you right. talk about a talent that. God, if his demons didn't get a hold of him, what kind of a, a phenomenal talent would Chris Candido have been? Long after mm. that whole body right. amazing. nonsense. And he was just, just amazing. an amazing worker. And another guy, could another do family that's, over, that's overlooked are the Carinos. I mean, Steve Carino brought credibility oh. back to the NWA. Yeah. That and, whole run uh, that he did. Really... That he, yeah, that whole run that he did in ECW with Dusty brought instant credibility back to the NWA. Now, I'm glad that Colby got signed because I think, you know, yeah. he's a good Yeah, coach. I'm really excited he's for a, Colby. He's a good talent. I've worked with him. We've worked on the same card before, and, and uh, yeah, Colby's a, a great talent. So hopefully everything uh, think, goes well for him. I think uh, Reed Flair could have been a big what if. Charlotte Flair, obviously, oh, uh, yeah. is a big, big oh, star. Um, wow. But the Carinos, yeah, I, I met Steve Carino. A couple of times, and uh, I actually yeah. liked his work with Kevin Sullivan and uh, Ring of Honor, and uh, oh, I've met, met Colby too at, at Independence as well. You know the funny part about uh, what you just talked about with with the Flares. If Reed 
didn't succumb to his demons and actually became the star that he was that he was being prepared to be, that he was destined to be, we wouldn't have had a Charlotte Flair. Ashley would have never gotten right. the business. So we gained one by losing the other. It's sad, but you know, it's right. uh, it's an interesting concept. Got you know tonight's been a heck of a show. Uh, God, we covered so much. Uh, you guys are amazing. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you guys um, got any plugs you want to give out before we head out? Steve, go ahead. Um, you can find uh, pro wrestling interviews on Facebook. Uh, it's kind of on and off again, uh, depending on the schedule. But you can find me at Stellar Steven. Um, very uh, fortunate to have trained with uh, Josh Barnett recently. Uh, very uh, famous catch wrestler. Uh, my uh, uh, my uh, appreciation goes out to him and Mongrel. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, thanks to Mongrel for hosting. Um, and I'm looking forward to wrestling events coming up. I think there's one on March 18th. Uh, I think it's like a Mid-Atlantic reboot. Uh, I think Ricky Morton's going to be there, among others. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be in Virginia. So definitely some Virginia shows coming up. I think Brew, uh, Barroom Entertainment Wrestling, is on the, is, is in March as well. So Definitely happy that there's back wrestling back in Virginia uh, again. So uh, thanks, uh, Strong Chance, for uh, taking all my questions. Well, thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, th- thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure, man. Call back anytime. And Chaz, you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, you know what, Stro? I've got an interesting project that has now moved out of the concept phase and into um, reality. So July 28th, which is a Friday night in Chicago, I'm still working on nailing down the venue. There's a couple of different places that are uh, battling it out. The WAW is going to promote an event that is going to be called A Night to Remember. And matches that have already been booked on that card are Zach Zodiac defending the WAW world title against Tom Latimer. Camille is going to defend the NWA world women's title against Soraya Knight. The WAW is creating a North American title, and it's a vacant title, so one competitor has already been signed, and that's Mustang Mike from Louisiana. So Mustang Mike was the last NWA North American champion. He's going to be challenging. We have an opponent to be named later for him uh, in that match. So there's going to be six matches on the card. Four of them are going to be title matches. And uh, I am so proud to be involved in the promotion of that event. And uh, we'll keep everybody updated as it goes on. But uh, a night to remember on July 28th is definitely going to be one for the ages. And so that's uh, that's my plug for tonight, uh, other than always plugging you know, the VOC Nation and WCW Retro. This is the only podcast that I regularly contribute to. And the reason being is I love the format. I love the fact that our host, that's Ustro, is so passionate about this great sport that we love. And our panel 
is knowledgeable. It's it's not a a nut job free for all. You know, and, and it's um it's a podcast that I will always call in on on a regular basis as long as I'm available. Most as long as you guys want me, because I know I'm long winded. It's the only one I, I do run ins on. And Amy does a run in for free. Yeah, she doesn't get paid. All the any other podcasts I'm usually in the bathroom with. Yeah, we know. Thanks a lot for playing. <laughs> so again, stroke. Thank Always you. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll call in all hey, the time. Um, you know sorry, please sorry do. Thank you. Um, I got a question for Chad. Did you see any yeah, uh, Billy Robinson? Did you see any Billy Robinson stuff or snake bit uh, pictures when you were in the UK? Oh yeah, there were a ton of them out there. But I'll tell you what, I saw Billy Robinson in 1976 at the International Amphitheater in Chicago. Hell yeah! Man, could that man wrestle? And I mean, believable. And Billy never raised his voice. He never grunted or groaned. He spoke articulately. And, I mean, yeah, Billy Robinson is probably one of the most underrated wrestlers ever in the history of the sport, only because he didn't win a world title. He was British Empire champion for years, but never won a world title. But, yeah, Billy Billy was phenomenal. Uh, Do you remember who he wrestled uh, on that show that you went to? Uh, I'd have to go back and look at it, but off the top of my head, yeah, I want to say that he wrestled against um, Baron Von Raschke when Von Raschke was a heel. Yeah, if you ever find anything uh, out in the open in the wild, you can just send a pick my way. Cause oh, I, definitely. I, I can tell you what the main event of that show was. The main event I of that show was a couple of... death match between Dick DeBruiser and Ernie Lavin. If I, find, if I come across the program... Or I come across any information, I'll get it to you, right? Absolutely. That's cool. Because I trained with a couple of students of uh, Billy Robinson, uh, Josh Burnett, Jake Shannon, Sam Creston. Yeah. Always glad to hear about stories about him. Oh, I got I, I got Billy Robinson. Actually, that's my plug. Physical Chess, uh, the uh, book on Billy Robinson, Physical Chess by Jake Shannon. That's my uh, last plug. Awesome. This has been great, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, come back anytime you want. That's, this has been a pretty awesome show. And hey, he, Stroll, and go, yeah, guys. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> when we go off air, can you? When we go off air, can I got to discuss something with you that I think you're going to like? So I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but when we go off air, uh, give me a shout because there's something I want to discuss with you. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Um, thank you guys. You guys also be sure listeners be sure to catch the archives of tonight's show on VOCNation.com. Just look for WCW Retro in today's state. And I'm uh, looking forward to next Thursday for sure. But uh, enjoy all the great programming we got VOCNation.com. You guys have a great rest of the week and weekend, and we'll talk next Thursday. Have a good night. All right, take care, guys. 